Thank you for joining us today with Cindy Sherwood's podcast, Words for the Journey, Trusting God's Perspective. I wonder how much of our life goes in a wrong direction simply because we predetermine what is or isn't possible based upon what we see. How many times do we say to ourselves, well, that ain't going to happen. There's no way. I've been there with God so many times. Early in my life, when my first husband left me to be with someone else, this was my perspective on the matter. There's no way God can heal and restore my marriage now. The marriage is over. And where did that perspective lead me? I moved on. I didn't pray about restoration or wait to give God time to work. Beyond a couple of months of counseling, that was it, the end. Divorced at 26. What if I'd waited for God to work? What if I'd believed in the power of God to restore my husband's heart? I don't know whether things would have changed or not. I'll never know. Because I didn't give God a chance. I didn't believe he could fix it. It took years, but I finally learned the truth about God. He is an amazing God. He's unlimited. He can make a way where there seems like no way. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Who does that? Who makes a way when we're lost? Who can provide rivers of water for us when we're in the desert? God can. He is powerful and unlimited. We will never see and understand God by looking at ourselves as a reference point. He is not like us. Yes, we are made in his image, but he is not made in ours. As human beings, we are selfish, prideful, blind, helpless and ignorant. You may think I'm contradicting myself because I've said so many times we are good stuff. We are precious and valuable. It's not a contradiction because our value is never earned. It is not assigned to us because we are wise, loving, kind, and giving. It's assigned to us because God created us and he loves us. In Christ, We are sons and daughters of the king. However, that doesn't change the fact we are in great need of God's sanctifying work in our life. We are no match for God in terms of power and knowledge. We are limited. He is not. Until humility begins to take root in each one of us, we will not be able to begin to grasp God's perspective, what I call the peak perspective. We will be too busy convincing ourselves that we know what's going on. Long after the end of my first marriage and after God finished my own healing journey, I was faced with another situation where I could see no way. My ministry was still young, about five years old, when God asked me to film the healing journey. Oh, wow. (laughs) Now that made no sense. It made perfect sense that he would want it filmed. It made no sense that he would want me to do it. I'm not the right person for the job. I'm wondering if Nehemiah had similar thoughts. 
In the book of Nehemiah, we read about a pretty amazing story, one that reveals the power of God to accomplish anything and through the most unlikely people. The whole thing made no earthly sense. At the beginning of the story, Nehemiah is a slave in Babylon. He was probably born into slavery, so it was unlikely he had ever even seen Jerusalem. As a slave, it was his job to bring liquid refreshment to the king. He was the king's cupbearer. One day, Nehemiah had company. Some men, including Nehemiah's brother, arrived in town, having come from Judah. They had news. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 says, And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. This is no great surprise. Jerusalem had been invaded many times. Even so, the reality of his homeland hits Nehemiah hard. Verse 4 says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I find Nehemiah's process striking. He certainly isn't typical in his response. He's actually acknowledging his feelings. He sat down, wept, and mourned for days. How many of us just keep marching forward as if nothing terrible happened? How many of us try to ignore our feelings? Nehemiah made a different choice, one that shows his wisdom and respect for his God-given feelings. That is a great example for us today. When we've been hit with something hard or painful, we need some white space, some empty time to be able to pray and process and think about what is going on with us. We need to sit and stop running for a moment, probably for a lot of moments. Next time life throws a jolt into your life, think about Nehemiah. Expressing our feelings is a wise decision. Stuffing them has disastrous consequences. We're so powerful in our own eyes. We think we can eradicate our pain by ignoring the truth, medicating ourselves, numbing ourselves, or staying distracted. Who are we kidding? All we accomplish with those strategies is building up toxic waste inside us and bringing more pain into our life. Expressing your feelings is a wise thing to do. Nehemiah did two other things as well. He fasted and he prayed. He fasted in order to be in a place where he could hear God more clearly. And he prayed. He knows he needs to speak with King Artaxerxes. But listen to how he starts this amazing prayer. Verses 5 to 7 says, And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Had it been me, I probably would have launched with, This is a terrible situation, God. Please come and fix the problem in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah begins by acknowledging God's faithfulness and love. And then he goes on to acknowledge that it was sin that created this problem. Nehemiah is humble, so humble, he even shares the blame for the problem. Even though he didn't live there during the time of Israel's rebellion against God, he acknowledged he too had been rebellious. He remembers God's promises to come to their aid whenever his people return to him. And it isn't until he finishes all those prayers that he gets to his request. Verse 11. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah knows what needs to be done. Someone needs to fix the wall surrounding Jerusalem so the Israelites have some protection. And he knows something else. God placed the fire in his heart to be the one. But that makes no sense. Why would God pick Nehemiah? Let me tell you all the reasons why this is a crazy idea. Nehemiah is a slave. He's not free to make decisions regarding what he does and where he goes. Nehemiah knows all about beverages and making the king happy. What on earth would he know about repairing walls? And Nehemiah is 600 miles away from Jerusalem. And keep in mind, there was no public transportation. The only way to get there was to walk. And if he did walk back, the chances of being robbed or mugged were really good. The scallywag stalked travelers looking for easy money. And if he managed to get there, how would he, a slave with nothing, be able to buy the needed lumber? And who would help him? The task is ridiculous. It's absolutely impossible looking. Why is Nehemiah even considering this? Two reasons. God put the fire in his heart to do it. And he knows the true character of God. It's not that Nehemiah has overlooked his status as a slave. It's that he knows God is more powerful than King Artaxerxes. It's not that Nehemiah feels sufficient to protect himself against thugs and bandits. It's that he knows God will always watch over him and protect him. It's not that he's forgotten he has no money. It's that he knows God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and will always provide what Nehemiah needs when he's acting in his will. Nehemiah knows God. He knows the truth and he believes the truth. He knows the only thing he needs is God's blessing on the project. If he gets that, everything else will fall into place. From a human standpoint, it looks like the king is in the power seat. If you'd asked Artaxerxes, he certainly would have agreed with that. 
But Nehemiah knew that wasn't true. Although he was accountable to the king, God is in the power seat. So he asked God to grant him success when he approached the king. Now, approaching the king is tricky business. You never know what kind of mood he might be in. And you were always at the mercy of his whim. He could give you the moon. Or he could have you imprisoned. Or killed on the spot. Whatever he felt like. One day while Nehemiah is in the king's presence, the king notices he isn't himself. This gives Nehemiah the opening he needs to bring up his need and his request. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 5 says, But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah has reason to be anxious. Babylon is one of the countries that ravaged Jerusalem in the first place. Why would Artaxerxes support a project to rebuild it? But Nehemiah knew the king wasn't in the power seat. God was. Artaxerxes' response is amazing. He is actually interested in what Nehemiah has to say and ends up granting and providing everything he needs. The king provides official documentation that will allow Nehemiah to travel safely through all the territories. He also gives access to the king's timber, whatever he needs. And the king sent his own cavalry and officers to escort Nehemiah on the trip. Incredible. So far, so good. Nehemiah's got the green light on the project and everything he needs. God proved himself as Nehemiah's source of power, as his strong protector and his generous provider. Now what? Was that Nehemiah's last challenge and obstacle? Was everything smooth sailing from there? (laughs) Not exactly. He got back to Jerusalem, surveyed the damaged, and rallied the locals to help him rebuild the wall. There were Ammonite officials, Sambalot and Tobiah, who were very much against anyone trying to help the Israelites. And they did everything in their power to stop the project. They intimidated them, ridiculed them, threatened them, and tried to attack. They sent false letters to scare them. Nehemiah maintained the peak perspective throughout the entire ordeal. Chapter 2, verse 20 in the NIV says, I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And because Nehemiah did trust God and did not waver through unbelief, they were able to successfully complete the repairs on the wall in only 52 days. 
Nehemiah's story inspired me back in 2006 when God asked me to film the healing journey. I too felt like I brought nothing to the table and had little to offer towards its success. I was terrified to tell you the truth. Like Nehemiah, I had no prior experience, but I believed God. My faith had grown, my knowledge of God had grown, and I knew if he was behind it, I could succeed. And I knew he was behind it. But it wasn't easy for me either. It was the hardest season of work in my life. I was exhausted trying to keep up with the demanding pace of filming every week for three and a half months. But God had me covered. And since that year, I've gone on to film numerous projects, including four more Bible studies. As I said in other podcasts, our beliefs and perspectives are critical, no matter where we are on our journey. When we are in need of healing, knowing who God is and his ability to provide for us and protect us all the way across the finish line will propel us forward to keep us going. And when healing is finished, trusting God to be our power protector and provider is the foundation that will allow us to head into the promised land and successfully live the life God created us to live. When our beliefs are true and we have the peak perspective, God's perspective, then God can accomplish amazing things in and through our life. All scripture is from the New King James Version, unless otherwise stated. Thank you for listening to Cindy Sherwood's podcast. Visit us on the web at hishealinglight.org to learn more about our ministry. Please consider rating us on iTunes or your other favorite music app. God's best to you today.